Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is paid commercial programming. The content and opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of WSSP, Intercom Milwaukee, its staff, or sponsors. From Lake Michigan to the Mississippi and every river, lake, and field in between. Let's talk everything outdoors. All aboard! Ha, ha, ha! You're on the crazy train! All aboard! <laughs> Welcome to the Wacky Walleye Cutting Edge Outdoor Show. Fasten your seatbelts for a wild ride through Wisconsin's outdoors. Only on 1250 AM, The Fan. And welcome to this week's edition of the Wacky Walleye's Cutting Edge Outdoors with your hosts, myself, Tom Neubauer, and my good friend, Danny Bush. Uh, listen, you, if you want to be part of the show, because, you know, we come to you live every Saturday morning from 6 to 8 a.m. And if you want to be part of the show, all you got to do is call us at 799-1250. That's 414-799-1250. Or you can email us at ceoguys at yahoo.com. And I promise, I'm looking at my computer, so if you email us, I can get right to it. Anyway, that's it for this morning. Good morning, Danny. Morning, Tom. Yeah, and Owen, by the way, Sam Schmitz, our producer extraordinaire, will uh, answer your calls if you give us a buzz. So so anything going on, Danny, by you? Well, uh, I'm kind of depressed that we, you know, since we have this daylight savings time switch about, I don't know when it was, a month or so ago. It, it really bummed me out because I was just starting to see daylight when we start the show. It was like the sun was shining, birds were <laughs> chirping, and now I look out the window, it's still dark, so I guess uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's making it kind of tough. But uh, yeah, the good thing is it stays light later in, in the evening as well. Um, not a whole lot of activity out here on the lake. Um, the uh, Walleyes for Tomorrow crew... Since we talked to Tom called in last week, since we talked to him, yeah. uh, the uh, big females, they've been getting the females, and they had been getting a bunch of males in the nets. Uh, even last weekend after the show, not much was going on on Saturday out there, but now they're in full swing out there. So I think I'm going to go on out and um, maybe uh, check out the operation, maybe help out a little bit uh, this afternoon. I think they're going to be running from about 12 to 4 o'clock. So uh, they'll be out in the boats and getting some fish. It'll be interesting to see what's happening. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, when they put out those fight nets to catch those fish, they get a lot of other fish in there, too. You know, they get 
you know, all kinds of panfish, muskies, northerns, bass, all kinds of stuff, you know. Yeah, and it, 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 I guess it would be interesting to really ask them, Tom, um, how, how and where, what's the science behind putting the nets out if you're specifically trying to get walleyes? Um, you know, because fish, you know, there's a lot of fish that'll be, well, pike, spawn now they pike are probably done spawning i'm yeah, guessing right. um hard to say uh, not all fish spawn at exactly the same time anyway right but um where why are they putting the nets in certain areas are they putting those in rocky areas i would guess for walleyes don't walleyes like to spawn in rocks is uh, what do you know about what of course if you think if they're going in the the wolf river system way back off into some far away marshes to spawn that's not rocky there so what no. do you know about walleye spawning, Tom? Most of the time, it's not rocks. It's like pea-sized gravel, okay, pebbles, you know, harder bottom, pea-sized gravel bottoms. But that that might be so on natural inland lakes. But Mother Nature has a way of making fish or having fish spawn where they can, when they can. And if there's if they don't have what they would consider their best spawning area, this gravel area, they're going to spawn wherever, and you bring up a good point. On, on the river systems, those fish will go back in flooded sloughs where there was corn back in the summertime. You know, I mean, corn growing. You know, they'll, they'll spawn wherever they can, and, and a lot of time in these rivers, you don't have the hard, gravelly bottoms, you know, so they're going to spawn wherever they can. But in lakes, you're right, it's the gravelly bottom, hard bottoms, you know, and I'm, I'm sure Walleyes for Tomorrow is putting their fight next in some of those areas, you know, that they think that they'll be spawning. And then, you know what, so far, over all these years, they've done a pretty good job in figuring it out, you know. Well, I, I guess for, for for most fish, they, they spawn in shallow water. And from what I understand, they want to have something like some vegetation or some, like you said, gravel, something to hold, I guess, hold the eggs, basically. Is that it? Not necessarily. Like, bass, uh, when they spawn in, uh, you know, uh, it could be a mucky or marl bottom, uh, you know, they, they kind of fan out a hole, and those eggs just lay in the bottom of the hole. They're not really sticking to anything, you know, they're just laying in the bottom of a hole. Uh, some, you know, it, it, different fish spawn a little bit differently, you know, and how they do things, you know, but most fish kind of, well, okay, did you ever go to, uh, over by the Oconomowoc Dam and watch the, the walleyes and the muskies from on top of the bridge, you know, looking down. Yeah, uh, years ago I used to go there, and yeah. I remember 20 years ago seeing some giant muskies there. Oh, yeah. There, uh, as a matter of fact, one of my sons was there uh, this la- last week, and they said, oh, yeah, there were some dandy muskies down there, and there were some a lot of walleyes. And, uh, you know, those fish aren't staying in one spot when they're spawning. They're moving. For some reason, they're dropping their eggs along, and the male is milking along, you know, and it, it's kind of strange, you know, how some fish do it, and, you know, other fish, I get a little bit different, so. But but it seems like, Tom, all fish seem to be attracted to that moving water, that current, whatever, where they want to go running up some kind of a, a stream or river or whatever, or ditch. They all well, seem to be going towards that running water, like Fox River at the dam in De Pere, I'm guessing whole bunch of fish go running up, and then they get stacked up right there below the dam. Yeah, walleyes and muskies, yes. Uh, but as far as, like, bass go, no, they, they do that in the calm water. You know? I guess, 
Okay, so that, that, would be, that would be a difference there. And Now, why is it that everybody's fishing for spawning walleyes and nobody makes a dig, big deal about that? Why has it been <laughs> where everybody doesn't want, where some people say, oh, you shouldn't be fishing for spawning bass? What's the difference? You know, you got a good point there. You know, the state uh, in northern Wisconsin protects the, the spawning bass I, and, and, you know, there's so many bass up in northern Wisconsin, it's not funny. And there's so many bass around our state. I mean, they're very prolific spawners, you know. And, yeah, they're, they're, I mean, down here they're not protected, but yet we've got tons of them. And walleyes, you, you'd think they would be protected, but they're really not, you know. Maybe it's because they're just harder to catch, you know, maybe harder to find. Maybe, the, you know, the weather is not so conducive to fishing. You know, it's cold. A lot of times windy, you know, I mean, it's kind of icky out. So, you know, I, I, you know, that's a good question. I don't know why the DNR does what they do, you know. Sometimes. Well, but then there is a difference, Tom, where if you go up in uh, late May, early June, you can find spawning bass up in Door County, smallmouths. Yeah. And there are guys who do bed fish them. Bed oh, fish, yeah. the, you know, the, there will be big males guarding the nests, and there will be some guys who go whack the heck out of them and i don't know if that um i mean there's so many smallmouth bass up there anyway that maybe it doesn't matter they do say that there's a lot of gobies and if you pull that bass off that nest for a little bit and takes it a while to get back in there after you catch and release it that you know maybe the gobies or something has done some damage and so i don't know if that's uh that might for some people I don't think they're too they're for that type of fishing. Other people are out there doing it and maybe they figure, well, there's so many smallmouth bass in the Bay of Green Bay, it doesn't matter anyway. I know they did have that a meeting last fall because certain anglers were concerned that the fishery might need more protecting. But then again, they're still catching tons of bass. I think they get a little bit spoiled getting used to yeah, they're used to getting hundreds, and if they go up and they only get 50, all of a sudden, oh, no, the bass fishing's crashing up here. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I think there's plenty of bass up there. I mean, that's a, such a large body of water. I think there's plenty of fish. But now, when you take your your typical inland lakes around us, uh, personally, I mean, well, let's put it this way. Years ago, if there was a tournament during spawning season, which every now and then there was, uh, I'm sorry, those fish were fair game. <laughs> I went after them, but nowadays, you know, if there, you know, if there's not a tournament, I mean, well, I don't do those anymore anyway. But nowadays, if uh, if I'm fishing and I see a bass on a bed, I, I leave it alone. I figure let it do its thing. There's, you know, we talked about that with Dale Strohshine, you know, and how on, a, on on any given lake you could have fish spawning in one area one week, but in that same week they're in pre-spawn or or post-spawn, you know. So, you know, leave those fish alone, let them spawn, let them do their thing. You know, there's other fish to be caught, you know, of that same species that are not spawning. And besides, those bass on the beds, those are, you know, 99%, those are the male bass guarding the beds. What you want to be looking for is the female bass, the larger ones, because the male bass are always the smaller. And so you want to find those female bass, which are, not too far away, but they're away from those beds. They take off and go feeding. Those are the ones you want to find. So if a guy was to target the females, 
What do you think they're going to move out to the closest weed edge or closest structure or I guess wherever the best food opportunity is? Yeah, they'll be, they'll be a, yeah exactly. You got hit it on the head. The, the, the best food opportunity, a lot of times it's just on those flats uh, or on the edge because, you know, the, the bluegills will be coming in soon. You know, they're hanging out on those flats to come in and spawn. And so, uh, yeah, they're going to be, you know, just leave the spawning area, the shallow water, and go off into the flats and uh they'll find their fit they'll find their food yeah that definitely definitely and speaking of spawning i got a notice from the dnr here it says the sturge <clears throat> losing my voice tom the sturgeon spawning is underway and i guess there's reports of sturgeon spawning on the fox and wolf river and they think it'll get going in full swing uh it pretty much any day now so apparently they uh, they started spotting some sturgeon at Sturgeon Trail in New London, and uh, crew saw some fish heavily in there. So have you have you ever gone up and viewed the sturgeon? I think my brother did that. Don't they have something set up where they people can go and and watch them? Yeah, I, I never did that, but you know there are people there who join. I think it's called the Sturgeon Patrol. They volunteer their time to patrol these areas where the sturgeon spawn to make sure there's nobody poaching. And if somebody was interested in that, all they'd have to do is go on the DNR website and uh, look for that uh, area to uh, volunteer for the Sturgeon Patrol. Yeah, I think, I think don't they call it the Sturgeon Watch that or maybe something? That's it. Maybe that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah right, right. Yeah, yeah that, I, in fact, we did talk to uh, someone from the DNR about that several years ago. So apparently that's pretty, pretty incredible to see. Um, I mean, those fish can be, like, really old, right? Can't they live oh, to yeah. be, what, 100 years old for a oh, sturgeon? Yeah. They're old fish. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And it's amazing that right here in Wisconsin, we have, the like, the largest population of freshwater sturgeon in the world because the DNR has taken care of them, you know? Uh, they've, well. they've done a great job with the sturgeon. Excellent job. Wow. Uh, Tom actually said something nice about the DNR. You know, I, I'm you know, falling the, off my uh, chair. I, I pat the DR, DNR on the back when they do well, and I, uh, you know, bring up points of interest if I don't think they do. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what keeps it fun listening to you, Tom. Uh, okay. Well, listen, what, you want to take a break now? I think we'll go to a early? break. Uh, when okay. we come back, I want to talk a little bit about guns. All right. And uh, 7 o'clock hour, I'm going to have a special special report as well and uh we got the gut report hornswoggle coming up oh i do want uh, last week's winner joe if you're listening i didn't mail that hornswoggle uh prize out i will get that out today sorry it uh, i kind of headed i had a ran out of town and i forgot to throw that envelope in the mailbox so if joe's listening we will get that to you yeah and bait mate and coleman are back on the hornswoggle prize package so uh you know, contestants Starting, have that to look forward to. Yep, beginning this week. Yeah. With this week's winner, you'll be a double winner starting today. Yeah, exactly. So, without any further ado, let's go to that break. We're, we'll be right back right here in the Wacky Walleye's Cutting Edge Outdoors.
Welcome back to Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors. I'm Dan Bush along with Tom Neubauer. We want to thank everybody out there uh, getting on board the crazy train today. And Danny, I know you're going to talk about guns. Yeah, go. So this, I'm this, looking for my material now, so go ahead. Okay, <laughs> Whatever you got. <laughs> perf- perfect time to let everybody know that we have a new advertiser. You'll hear their ads starting next week. And it has to do with guns. It's MJ Gunsmithing in Hubertus, Wisconsin. And uh, if you want to find out more about MJ's gun shop, well, you'll hear the ads next week. But you can go to uh, mjgunshop.com to find out where they are, when they're open, and all that kind of good stuff. So, And they do a lot of stuff there. And you and I have both been there. So just yes. thought I'd let everybody know about that. MJ's Gunsmithing. So yes. did you find your stuff? Yeah, found my stuff. Okay. Um, you had uh, you had forwarded forwarded this email uh, to me. It was sent to our CEO guys, and uh, I don't think our listener will mind me reading it. Um, it just says, "Hi guys, on Thursday, like a dictator, Biden is seeking to unilaterally regulate firearms that gun owners currently own, and he's doing this via executive action, bypassing the constitutional requirements." which give Congress the authority to pass legislation. Biden is also urging Congress and states to pass red flag gun confiscation laws. This law permits the police to confiscate your guns. Let's see. The states of California, Oregon, and Washington have this law. How's that working out for them? Not very good. Just wanted to bring this to your attention. The above actions are the first steps to to eventually taking away our guns. And don't think for a minute this will never happen. They're coming after you. Hope all your followers join the Gun Owners of America. As always, love the show, Double D. So thanks, Double D, for that email, and you are absolutely correct. Everybody should join Gun Owners of America. Uh, I'm still going to renew my NRA one, much as I'm chagrined that Wayne LaPierre took his relatives on, you know, $100,000 trips or whatever I've heard, whatever it was. Um, and, uh, I'm still, the NRA is still there fighting for us. And also I, uh, do have a flyer that I mentioned, I think a week ago. Uh, it uh, says, uh, dear Wisconsin NRA member, please join your NRA ILA. That's the Institute for Legislative Action. I believe that's one of their groups there with the NRA. Join their team today, Saturday, April 10th, for an important day of informative sessions about the Second Amendment. And they're going to have various seminars, topics, etc., etc. That's going to be today at the Brookfield Conference Center, 325 South Moreland Road. Registration begins at 9 a.m. So if you're not doing anything today, if you're not driving up to look at sturgeon in the river or helping with the Pewaukee walleye wagon, um, maybe uh, you could go check that out this morning. Yeah, and, you know, on that note with what Double D sent us was, uh, you know, I'm a firm believer in the Constitution, and the Second Amendment uh, is part of that, of course. And if you look throughout history, Danny, whether it be Nazi Germany, Stalin in Russia, uh, China and their communism, and anywhere where there was socialism, the one of the first things they did, and is, is they took away the guns, they took away the ammunition. As a matter of fact... This goes way back to Roman times. When the Romans would conquer an area, they took their swords and spears. 
even the kings of England, when they were attacking Scotland, when they overran Scotland, what did they do? They took away their spears. They took away their swords. You know, they they even held. They even took away their damn bagpipes. But the thing is, is that the the, the socialism has got to take away the the arms in order to stop an insurrection when people are fed up with the government. You know, so that it. Boy, I'll tell you what. That's scary times. That our government right now, the socialist government, is trying to take away our firearms. Well, what's even what's even scarier, Tom, is now they're working in 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 concert with big tech, where they're monitoring us right now. Mm-hmm. Twitter's monitoring anybody that supposedly says something that uh, <clears throat> is a, against uh, the viewpoint of some politician. In fact, some crazy story in California. California Highway Patrol went to some guy's house. Because apparently he tweeted something about AOC and said that he thought she was pretty underwhelming in her performance. And next thing you know, the Capitol Police apparently contacted California police to go check this guy's out. And he had to convince them he didn't make, they were accusing him of making threats. So now, let's say Danny Bush says something on the cutting edge outdoors, or, or Tom says something, or I tweet. No, thank God I don't tweet. But you tweet something that somebody doesn't like, and maybe you say something disparaging, and they that's then uh, construed as a violence, that you're somehow advocating violence against somebody. They come to your house, and you, they know you got guns. They're going to take your guns. So, I mean, it's, it's all becoming a very scary thing right now where people are going to be afraid to speak up and say anything. It's like we're being controlled. You know, about three or four years ago, uh, my doctor, uh, when I was at a, you know, just a regular doctor visit, he said, I got a bunch of questions I got to ask you. And he's asking all these medical questions. But then one of the questions was, do you own firearms and what kind? And I, and I looked at him and I said, well, that's none of your business, is it? I said, why would you be asking me that question? You know, this is a doctor's office. You know, why are you asking me this? And, it, and I began to wonder why would doctors be asking patients if they own firearms? Well, guess why? They put you in a database, you know? It's it's yeah. crazy times. I think we got a caller, Tom. Okay. All right, let's go to Bob in Luxembourg. You're on the Cutting Edge Outdoors. Hey, good morning, Bob. Hi, guys. What's up? Um, morning. I'd like to change the subject for a minute. Sure. Oh, it's my friend, Bob Garfinkel from Luxembourg. Hi, Bob. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The sturgeon spawn has started very early this year. Uh, The first sturgeon were spotted this past Wednesday. Usually this is an occurrence that happens uh, mid-April to um, late April, sometimes as late as early May, but it's it's probably two weeks early to give you a timeline on what uh, what's going on. It's all water temperature. Um, it, it's in the probably the peak right now, and and it's uh, if it if it warms up, uh, it'll only last a few more days. I go every year uh, to the Shawano Dam. Uh, that's uh, South Shawano, and it's just amazing. Uh, there are hundreds of people 
there at a time um, watching the the uh, the DNR net the the fish and and uh, put um, a tag in them. And these fish are some are four four feet, five feet, six feet long. And it's just it's just amazing, and and you can get up fairly close to them. But it was on uh, on uh, the Green Bay uh, stations uh, last night, so it's going to be a madhouse. But it's not going to last another week, I don't think. When you say madhouse, that means there's going to be a ton of people there watching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a ton of people. Okay, um, they, they were they were probably. A hundred on camera yesterday, and the word didn't even get out. Uh, wow. There are also viewing stations um, on the uh, the Wolf uh, downstream, but I, I'm not familiar with those. What's the biggest sturgeon you've seen there? Guesstimate. I would say uh, it was over a hundred pounds. Okay. Yeah, uh, that... the, the largest one I ever saw was mounted in a tavern, in in I think it was pipe on uh, Winnebago. Okay, it was 180 pounds, oh. and it was speared somewhere in the 1950s, and they figure it was born somewhere around the uh, Civil War. Wow, unbelievable. Wow. Hey, Bob, that was great information. Thanks for calling. Well, if people want to see it, I'd say in the next two, three days, but it's going to be over quick. Yeah, and now's the time, and, right. And the whole, all the seasons are probably going to be early this year. Right, very early. Okay. Okay, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Well, thanks, thanks for calling. appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Okay, bye now. Tom, I, Tom, I wonder if... Some crazy per- person is trying to take a selfie of themselves in a sturgeon now. <laughs> you know, I can you see. Know, Danny, I can see some. You, you, you've met Bob, have I? Yeah, he was the owner of Bob's Bait and Tackle up in Green Bay. Oh yeah, well I used to go to. Yeah. I, I used to go to his place all the time. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, I, so you, yeah, you've met him before. You know who he is. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, yeah that was a great shop. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so. Well, if people want to give us a call and discuss this uh, Second Amendment rights issue, they can do that. But for right now, we're going to get ready to go to the gut report. We got something interesting today. Uh, not as good as maybe where uh, the teddy bear came from that you told us last week, but something interesting enough. So, folks, stay tuned. Buckle up. We got more of the crazy train on the Wacky Walleye's Cutting Edge Outdoors coming up right here on 1250 AM, The Fan. I'm gonna eat you! I'm bigger than you! I'm higher in the food chain! Get in my belly! The Gut Report is brought to you by Discount Liquor. Well, this morning, we're gonna talk sweet potatoes. You know, a lot of people think that sweet potatoes and yams are the same thing. They're not. Yams are not as good as sweet potatoes. They're not as tasty. They're more fibrous. Oh, no, they're not, they're not that good at all. And what you find in the grocery store are sweet potatoes. Now, you might find in the grocery store one that says sweet potatoes and one that says yams, but those aren't real yams. Back in the 1930s, a couple of Louisiana farmers decided to make, you know, grow their own type of sweet potato, 
but they didn't want it to be confused with the regular sweet potato. So what did they do? They called it a yam. And guess what? It's just like a sweet potato. So in a grocery store, when you see yams, it's most likely a sweet potato. Because if it was a real yam, trust me, you wouldn't want it, and you wouldn't want to make a sweet potato pie out of it. Anyway, but this recipe has to do with sweet potatoes. Now, what I like, now there's a lot of ways I like to make sweet potatoes, but this is just one of them. I cut the sweet potatoes in, after I peel them. I cut them into three-quarter inch pieces, little cubes. And I put them in, in a bowl, and I mix with some uh, little oil. And then I put in some salt and pepper and Italian spices. Now, I like the Italian spices. You can put any spices you like in it. I throw them in the oven for about 45 minutes at 375 degrees. I poke them with a fork to make sure they're done. And I take them out. And then I put them in a bowl. And while they're still warm, I sprinkle a little brown sugar on them. I know that's not good for me, but I do it anyway. It tastes good. Sprinkle a little brown sugar on them, mix it all up. Brown sugar melts right into them. I'll tell you what, sweet potatoes, they are delicious anytime. So that's my gut report for the week. And it's brought to you by Discount Liquor, where you'll find the best price, selection, and service at 51st and Oklahoma in Milwaukee and Main Street in Barstow and Waukesha. For weekly specials, go to DiscountLiquorInc.com. Welcome back to the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors, and thank you, Tom, for that great update, the fascinating history of the sweet potato and the yam. I'll tell you, nobody knows his yams like my buddy Tom, and uh, so (laughs) I I was laughing, Tom. I know sweet potatoes, not yams. I was laughing... I was laughing when you were talking about yams, because just the, the very name yams sounds kind of goofy. So, who actually eats yams is my question. If they're not as good as a sweet potato, no. why do they exist? I, well, they exist because they're, uh, they're a tuberous fiber that grows underground, just like a sweet potato. And sweet potatoes and yams have nothing to do with regular, like white potatoes or, you know, like the regular potatoes that we eat. Uh, they don't have anything in common. They're totally different. But they both, you know, yams and sweet potatoes grow under the ground. The yam has got a fibrous root that goes down about three feet, whereas the yam is, you know, very short root, you know. Uh, they're, they're totally different, and you wouldn't want to eat a yam. So does anybody eat yams or Oh, I'm or sure where, where, they're, where, they're, where they are harvested, yes, I'm sure people do, because that might be all they have, you know. So, so I, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I've, to tell you the truth, I don't think I've ever seen one. Although I've seen yams in supermarkets, but those, like I said before, but, those are just sweet potatoes. But made you said by the they're not yams. Guys. <laughs> they're just advertised as yams. Well, yeah, why would rare. they call them? If, if yams aren't as good anyway, why would they put yams on a sweet potato package? Because then nobody's going to want to get it because we know yams aren't as good as sweet potatoes. Because most people don't even, have never tried a yam and don't know what they are, really. That's okay. why. You know, because all they've ever seen are sweet potatoes, and that's what no, they know. So, are sweet potatoes kind of like squash, Tom? No, no, no. Okay. Nope. Totally different. Totally okay, different. See, yeah, I don't think I've ever gone to the store to buy a sweet potato. Yeah, and they're delicious. So, you know, one of my favorite ways to make them is they just throw them in the microwave and bake them, or throw them in an oven and bake them. 
and then put uh, put a little butter and salt and pepper on them. Man, they are so good. Oh, they're delicious. Are, are they healthier for you than regular potatoes? I don't know if they're healthier. They sure do taste good. Taste better. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, well, they you know they taste good. You know, yeah, they're good. They're you really should good. have been a chef. You should have been a chef, Tom. As much as you love to cook. Uh, you know, I I like cooking. You know, it doesn't bother me. You know. But you know what, though, I've had my share of mistakes, you know. Uh, you know, I try different things, and I think, oh, maybe this will be good, and then, then my wife wants to throw it at me, you know. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, but you know what, that's the only way you learn is by experimentation. And sometimes the experiment goes awry, and it's not any good. So, but that's how you learn, you know. Right. Well, over the years, you've gotten pretty good at the... Uh at cooking a lot of things, but wild game as well. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I'll i tell you what, though. Yeah, you know, like uh, when we when we talk wild game, like I, I think of ducks and pheasants, okay? Okay. I, I have never had a, I've never made a tender pheasant. <laughs> never. Really? They've always been tough. And, and ducks, uh, wild ducks, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, the, you know, the biggest problem that people have with those is that they overcook them. You gotta undercook them, you know. Uh, and the ducks you buy in a store are better than the wild ones because they've got a much bigger layer of fat on them, and that fat is flavor. So, well, I've talked to a lot of guys that are into duck hunting, and I'm not a duck hunter, but apparently there's a vast difference between different species of yes, ducks yeah. as far as what's good to eat and what's not good to eat. Um, yep. I'm I'm guessing. Well, our buddy Al Shook would probably know. He's been a duck hunter and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I get. But then again, for everything that somebody says, oh, they're too tough, or I don't like them, they're not good. For everybody that has something, some, will say something like that. There's another guy out there who has a special recipe that he uses to make them, and it's delicious. Yeah. Well, you know, look at how you proved to me. I I hated brown trout for all my life. And then you showed me some recipes that could be made with brown trout on the grill that were fantastic. Yeah, and, and you know, pretty much it was just simplicity. I, I had about, that day I had the grill right there at the studio for you and you and John, I had about, I, I want to say, half a dozen different recipes mm-hmm. that I had prepared. And I, half of them I just made up the day before. I thought, well, I'll put a little <laughs> of this on here, I'll put a little of that one. Oh, I guess the funny. one... The one that you liked the best was that barbecue one where I took the uh, I took barbecued Pringles, crushed them up, and put it. What it, what you do is you put the skin side of the brown of the fillet on on the aluminum foil that you put on the grill, and then when you cook it, that skin will stick right to the aluminum foil. It can scoop right. the fish up like just with a spatula. It's pretty slick. Um, but I crushed up those uh, barbecue Pringles. And put it, put them, coated the the fillet with that. Then I got some uh, barbecue sauce and poured a little bit of barbecue sauce. And I think I just maybe a little bit of salt and pepper, a little butter, and uh, I I don't think I put any onions on it. And no. uh, and just let it rip. And what happens is those the the barbecue the crushed Pringles just kind of melt right into the fish. I mean it, it it really the flavor just sucks right in there. And yeah, that that was a good one. Yeah, that was very good. Very good. But so it seemed it, like those recipes, if you didn't make the brown trout with those recipes, then I didn't like the brown trout, you know, just by itself. 
Well, you know, have you ever done a trout boil, Tom? Yeah, uh, yeah. The fish boil? Yeah. Like the Door County style yep. one? Yeah, and a lot of times they use uh, the lake trout for those. Right, right. And, and pretty much, I, I had a friend do one years ago right by uh, Eshwama Bay Park there, right on the shores of the Fox River, years ago before it even became a walleye fishery. And he had a bunch of trout. And uh, he had a big kettle, and he had that, and as I recall, what, potatoes and onions, and you just put it in this big old kettle and just uh, chunk the fish up and, and just let her go. That's pretty much it, right? Yeah. Well, there's a bunch of different spices in there, you know. Okay. There's certain spices, yeah. Yeah, and, and it was good. Um, the trout... I mean, the, the meat, it, as I recall, it was a little bit bland as far as it wasn't a super flavorable, you know, flavor, whatever, flavorful yeah. fish, but it was good. It was yeah, good. It wasn't, it wasn't my favorite. I mean, it was all right, but uh, it's not like I'd make it myself, you know. Yeah, and I think that's kind of a, a popular, kind of a Door County type thing. Well, I guess the, the whole theory on something like that is, you can make a huge amount of it for a whole bunch of people. Yeah, I think exactly. that's kind of the whole theory behind that trout boil thing. Yeah, and sometimes when they do that, they build a big fire around the big kettle, and it's a really big kettle, and they build a big fire, and then the guy will throw a, a match down, and it, and it there's a big whoosh, you know, and there's this big fire ball, you know, and it, so, they make a... a uh, what do you call it? They, they make it into like an act, like a circus act. You know? So, you know? so it's like a religious ceremony, Tom. So basically, <laughs> you got a bunch of guys <laughs> standing there in in their beater t-shirts, drinking paps in a circle, yep, yep, chanting, and then the designated guy with the big uh, big thing on his head, the big the chief headrick, whatever comes walking in ceremoniously and lights the ceremonial match and throws it on and whoosh yep, and everybody tips their beer like. and salutes yeah and <laughs> sounds guess, like a great time to me yeah it uh, yes it is without a doubt and you know coming up next folks is the hornschwaggle and starting this week you can win two prizes one is uh it's sponsored by carl's country market in menominee falls on the corner of uh pilgrim in silver spring and you can win a ten dollar gift certificate to carl's country market you can also win some bait mate stuff and coleman stuff from wisconsin pharmacal so you'll get some bait bait mate stuff which danny and i use when we fish and you get some coleman supplies which we both use also you know when the mosquitoes and uh, uh bugs are out so yeah you can win some nice prizes so and you're all set with the with your statements, right, Danny? Uh, yes, I am, Tom. All right. Well, then let's I'll tell you what, folks. If you want someone wants to be a contestant, now just remember, if you've won in the last couple months, don't call because Sam is make, he's got a list of who's won, and uh, so we want we want to give a chance to a lot of people, you know, around the area. So uh, give somebody else a chance and call right now if you want to be a contestant. Four one four. 799-1250. That's 414-799-1250. Be a contestant for the Hornschwaggle right here on Wacky Walleye's Cutting Edge Outdoors.
Welcome back to Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors. I'm Dan Bush along with Tom Neubauer. We want to thank our listeners and we always make it a point to thank law enforcement, first responders, healthcare workers, military out there helping protect our country. And right now we have our Hornschwaggle segment and do we have a lucky contestant? Yep, today we got Tim in Oak Creek. Tim in Oak Creek. How you doing, Tim? Good morning. How we doing? Good, doing good gosh. Morning. Doing gosh darn good. Okay, so you know how this works. I uh, do. You got to get two out of three. If I'm pulling your leg, it's a hornswoggle. If I'm not pulling your leg, then you say no hornswoggle. Right. Um, okay, so here we go. In 1832, <clears throat> Francis Douglas Spawn wrote a book on the mating habits of Great Northern Pike, and that's how the name Spawn fish spawning came about hornswoggle or no hornswoggle i'm gonna call that a hornswoggle hornswoggle <laughs> good job on the ring there you like that tom francis yep. douglas spawn <laughs> yep mm-hmm. all right here we go um most pike mo- most pike most fish need male and females to effectively spawn however pike are asexual and only the female is needed for reproduction. Hornswoggle or no hornswoggle? I'm going to go with hornswoggle again. Hornswoggle! Very good. Okay, they need, they need that little male right in there eagerly, like an eager little beaver there, uh, putting his milk on the eggs. Okay. And I guess you're two out of two. Let's see if you would have got the next one. Uh, right. Most fish spawn in the spring or fall. Hornswoggle or no hornswoggle? I'm going to say no hornswoggle. No hornswoggle. Wow, you're three for three today, Tim. So when we put you on hold, we will have uh, Sam take your address, and I'll get that. Uh, Can uh, I ask a quick question before? Sure, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Um, just wondering, uh, the local lakes, what is, uh, water temperature? What are you hearing as far as uh, water temperature for the local lakes? Gosh darn good question. I know. Good question. A, I don't know. I don't know. A week, a week, a week ago. Uh, the report from the walleye wagon here on Pewaukee, I believe last weekend, was 43 degrees. Okay. Um, but that was a week ago, and I'm sure it's raised drastically now. So uh, I'm guessing it's probably getting into the high 40s anyway, but that's just kind of a shot off the top of my head there. Okay, and the crappie spawn is low 50s, correct? Correct. Okay. Yeah, low to, low to mid 50s. Something, something like... Well, like Danny said earlier, you know, they don't all spawn at the same exact water temperature. You might find some at, you know, 57 degrees, 58 degrees. You find some at 53 degrees, you know. So, you know, it does depend, you know, on the day and the sunlight and all that other good stuff. But I did right. notice one thing, that uh, the place where there were a lot of crappies being caught, the crappies all moved out, and now there's a lot of perch in there. And the perch were, uh, you know, doing their thing. So... The crappies aren't spawning yet, but the perch are probably done by now. So, Tom, okay. you normally fish for the crappies in the spring. Yeah. Uh, typically, you try to go to, uh, we won't tell anybody that you like to go to Stumpy Bay on Lake o- on Okachi. So no Actually, one knows I don't your... go to Stumpy Bay that much. I go to other spots now. Oh, okay. Oh, that <laughs> little, can I, that one little, that one little area, that little inlet that goes into that little small, yeah, I know where you go. Yeah, um, okay. What time of year? What time of year do you like to go, Tom? Is that going to be coming up in the next couple of weeks? Uh, yes. As a matter of fact, my one of my sons wants to go. This uh, he wants to go tomorrow, 
And I oh. told him, if it's not 70 degrees, I don't want to go. Last year, I froze my butt off. We went too early. Okay. Uh, so uh, I think maybe not not this weekend, but next weekend ought to be ought to be perfect. I'm hoping. Next, okay. So it, it should be coming up because I think that's what Tim kind of wanted to know is yeah. kind of judging when he's going to go after those crappies. Um, yeah. Well, you know. You know you can always you can you can go earlier for them. You know you could go this weekend. It, you know, I mean, uh, there's a uh, you know you go behind Wisconsin Island where the stumps are, and you know there's going to be some in there. You know, so I mean, it it depends. You're, you're going to find them eventually, but you know not all of them are going to come in real shallow right away. But some will. You know. Well, I went with Paul Mahalik, uh, who is an expert angler, and I went to Wabisa with him many years ago, and it was in June, about early June, and we went to Wabisa to target bluegills, and we got our limits of crappies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it was 25 each or something that back in the day. I don't, I can't recall for sure, but yeah, we hammered the crappies. No monsters, but the crappies were there, so I guess you got to go out and, and be, it's about being on the water. You got to go when you get the chance, and it, timing is everything in life. But if you can get out there and time it right, you can you can probably do pretty well. But uh, you just got to have the time. Get out there and keep plugging away, and and uh, so maybe you'll find the crappies, maybe you'll find bluegills, maybe you'll find perch. I guess, Tom. You know, uh, not last year, but the year before last, my son and I, we just we there was this one little spot, and we hammered the crappies. We went back to the same spot last year, same water temperature. Same kind of day as far as outside temperature and water temperature. And you know what? Couldn't catch a darn crappie in that spot. They were in other spots, but not that one spot again. You know, it's like, and I'm wondering, why were they there one year and not the next? And it had, it, I, you know, I, every, I'll tell you what, every time you try to outthink a fish, I guarantee you're going to lose. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, we talk about yeah, timing. Uh, many, many years ago, and I've told this story, I went the first weekend in May. Used to be a hot time to go get a limit of northern pike. And I mean, if you go with two guys, you'd come out with 10. You go with three, you'd come back with 15. Limit of pike at the mouth of the Peshtigo River. And that's before anybody ever walleye fished there. Nobody fished that. Walleye thing was non-existent. Um, you'd see guys fishing walleyes by the dam up in Pestigo, further upriver, I guess. But in the mouth there, we'd catch those post-spawn pike on, uh, on dead smelt, shiners, or sometimes casting, you know, basic, your basic pike stuff. Uh, and it was a great time. And it always seemed that the first Saturday in May was best because nobody else would be fishing there. In, in April, there'd be guys fishing there for pike. There'd be, you know, four, five, six boats. But everybody on the opener of the inland fishing season, of course, is anxious to go fish all those inland lakes that just opened up. So that would open up the river there. And I went with my brother one time, and same thing you're talking about. We had limited out the year before. Nothing. Didn't catch a doggone thing. And then it actually started to snow, Tom. It's snowing in May. So we started driving home, and I stopped by O'Connell County Park 2 to look for pike to see if you'd see them in the ditches because they swim into those ditches and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, I stopped, and uh, there was a little creek that went under the road there, and I started walking down the creek looking, and all of a sudden, the water is just cloudy, 
and and I just see just a gazillion the water churns and a gazillion minnows go scooting off. Well, I realized those were smelt. They were in that creek thick. So we drove into Ocano. We got a, uh, a replacement netting for our little landing net that was you know narrow you know was narrower mesh so the the smelt couldn't get through it. And we went back. My brother waded down the creek while I sat with the net, stuck it in the water. I kind of took like a, some branches from trees and logs and I f made it like a funnel and put the net in between so they'd have to go through that spot on the creek. And within, he made, he's making smelt drives is what he's doing. After he made two drives and I filled, filled that net up, uh, we had a five-gallon bucket full of, full of big smelt. And wow. we went home and put the smelt in the front yard. My dad came out and he looks and he goes, I thought you guys were going pike fishing today. But, you know, we went back the next day because we thought we were going to load up on smelt. They were gone just yeah. that quick. Yeah, that's fishing. Yeah, but, I mean, we stumbled upon them. Who would have thought, that, you know, there'd be smelt in that creek in May? Yeah. You never know. Was that in 1989? Boy, that's now you're testing my memory. I think I, I was remember. in I was in college. No, that was uh, prior to 1989. Oh, okay. Yeah, that would have been. Uh, I was in college at the time, so that probably was the late 70s. Okay. 1980 I maybe. Because yeah, I remember it snowed in '89. Well, where I was, I was on. Uh, oh, began with I can't. It was the governor's opener, and I forget the name of the body of water. I'll think of it maybe during this uh, top of the hour break. But, well, uh, it, but I remember it snowed on us, and that was in opening, you know, opening day. A couple of years ago, and when I was fishing Little Sturgeon Bay, I believe that was in May. I believe uh, it, it got cloudy and a, a little bit of snow. We had a little bit of a you know snow squall. It was just kind of weird. All of a sudden, it kind of started snowing, and mm -hmm. and then it got really weird because I cast my line out and uh waiting for my line to come down and it, it didn't come down it was floating in the air and <laughs> so the air was electrically charged and we had this weird snow and weird clouds swirling around and that's when i said to mark let's get the heck out of here uh, i don't want to get struck by lightning and some weird freak freak thing yeah next thing you'd see is the four horsemen coming at you <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> All right, well, listen, we got to take a break for the top of the hour. Folks, stay tuned. we got hour number two to go of the Cutting Edge Outdoor, uh, Wacky Walleye's Cutting Edge Outdoors. The following is paid commercial programming. The content and opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of WSSP, Intercom Milwaukee, its staff, or sponsors. From Lake Michigan to the Mississippi and every river, lake, and field in between, Let's talk everything outdoors. Aboard! Ha, ha, ha! You're on the crazy train! Aboard! <laughs> Welcome to the Wacky Walleye Cutting Edge Outdoor Show. Fasten your seatbelts for a wild ride through Wisconsin's outdoors. Only on 1250 AM, The Fan. at the Wacky Walleye's Cutting Edge Outdoors want to thank all of our listeners for making us the most listened to two-hour live outdoor show in Wisconsin. He's Dan Bush. I'm Tom Neubauer. We come to you every Saturday morning from 6 to 8 a.m. We want you to hop on board the crazy train and stay tuned for a whole bunch of interesting stuff going to be going on today. 
And uh, so, if you want to be part of the show, just give us a buzz at 414-799-1250. Or you can always email us live at ceoguys at, at yahoo.com. Okay, Danny, you, you now so, we go, oh, wait a minute, we got the walleye report from so Danny Bush. I got it. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta say, Tom. You know, I, I'm sitting here looking at my bait mate. This garlic and salt, this, you know, this great stuff to put on the fish attract and on lures. And, and I do believe in trying to use whatever you think can help give you an edge. And I'm, I'm really disappointed, Tom, because last week I had told you about my great plan of taking my uh, crankbaits and how I had put them in some bags of smelt for a week or two. To okay. get them that smelt smell, so I could, you know, so I could go up and catch the state record, the new state record walleye, and I'm really disappointed. I fell three pounds short, so it was kind of a disappointing time up there. But it was, it was good to be out on the water. Up where? Uh, up in the Bay of Green Bay. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I was three pounds away from that state record, but oh well, have to go back next time. You caught a 15 pounder. Oh, did I say that, Tom? Well, yes. <laughs> By golly, Tom, I got a monster, man. Did you? I got a monster. Yep. It uh, Put it this way. It was as close to 15 pounds as it was 14. Uh, 33 inches long. On my brother's brass scale, it was just under 15. On my digital, it was 14 pounds, 6 ounces. So I'm calling it a solid 14 and a half pound fish. I never wow. took it into a certified scale. I don't care what a couple ounces here or there. But it's, remember Fred Storm's fish? Yeah. Uh, it looked just like that. Wow. The one that Steve Milliot got. It was a horse. I'll tell you, I, uh, I, I you know, we'd, we'd been trolling. We'd caught a couple fish. And normally if you hook a, a smaller one, now it's funny. I say a smaller one is 25, 26 inches, like that small. But they'll start doing lots of head shakes and come to the top of the water right away. This thing, when it hit, it stayed down deep. So I had a feeling it was big. Well, when I got it to the boat, my brother turned the spotlight on. on, on a, we got it uh, a big spotlight-type flashlight duct taped to the handle on the net. And he, he shines it down in that crystal clear water, and the fish is down deep. And swear to God, it looked like it was three feet long. And I didn't want to say anything because I'm trying to stay cool, and I didn't want to get my brother excited. He and you know need your net man to be calm. And I had to make a decision. It was going down underneath the front of the boat, down deep towards the trolling motor. The boat is drifting over the top of it, so I can do one of two things. I can either put the rod tip in the water and loop around to the other side of the boat and fight it there, or I can try and turn it. And for some reason, I, I told my brother, I said, hang on, I'm going to bring it to you. So I, I turned it, and that's a dangerous thing because the fish is down there, and I'm forcing it to do a 180, and as it does the 180, it's shaking its head back and forth, back and just violently. But then once I made the turn and it was still stuck, I didn't hesitate because there's there, I've noticed this when landing muskies for clients as well. A lot of times when that fish kind of makes a dive down by the boat, if the guy can turn it, once you get it turned and coming back up, it seems like for a second or two they're kind of disoriented. Where, they, you know, they will make another run and take off in a second. But if you can get them right after you make that turn and get them up to the top of the water. So I towed him to the top of the water and just horsed it. And I normally don't horse a fish, but I knew it was big and I was just going to go for it. And I dragged it straight towards the net. And honest to God, 
I'm going to go buy a bigger net for next year because the <laughs> net was not big enough for this oh, thing. A, three, wow. a fish, it's, I mean, it's almost three feet long. It's 33 inches. I, I, but I had to lead it perfectly straight into the net. And even then, he, my brother had to do like a double scoop to make sure he got the tail in. And then when he went to try and swing it on over the seat, back seat, he swung it up over the net over the back seat. He, he was struggling. And I just said, huge head. I mean, it has a head like a pike. And he looked at me and says, this is 14 pounds. And I, so, I, so then, calm, cool, and collected as I am, I'm frantically looking for my digital scale. And I'm looking every tackle box, every compartment. I finally said, just put it, let's put it in the live well and regroup. And he said, well, you're going to keep this one. And uh, we put it in the live well. And, of course, I had the scale sitting right next to, the, right next to my uh, council where I had put it there the, an hour before, right in the spot where it should be ready to use. But I guess I was kind of excited and, and didn't see it. But, uh, yeah, we, we couldn't even get a, a real good weight on it out on the water because the, the waves were bouncing up and down in the waves there, and it kept going between 14 and 15 pounds. So I knew it was over 14 pounds. Uh, then, we, then once we weighed it on dry land, like I said, uh, it was 14 and a half pounds. So pretty happy with that one, Tom. It's off of Dan Johnson Taxidermy, who does the most beautiful fish mounts in the world. Wow, that's awesome, Danny. And yeah, you, caught, you caught other walleyes besides that one, right? Yeah, well, here's the funny thing. After I caught that fish, I said to my brother, Tim, I said, I'm done. I'm done fishing. You can just, you just fish. I said, I'm done. I, I think I'm done walleye fishing forever myself. So I said, I'm not going to ever top this. Uh, so it's funny. A little bit later, he caught a, uh, a walleye, and we, I got it in the net, and he goes, oh, it's just a little one. And then we look at each other and go, wait a second. This might not just be a little one. We put it on the board. It's 28 inches. But it looked like it was 24 inches to us because we, we our minds were messed up from handling that big one and, and, yeah. and just seeing that. Everything looked small after that. It, 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 it kind of ruined us. Uh, yeah, and it's funny. We were motoring out there, and I was talking out loud, and I said to my brother when we launched that day, I said, I, I, said, I don't know how big one would have to be for me to want to keep and mount another one. Now, I'm looking at a 11 and a half pounder on the wall right now that I got, and I've got other fish on the wall. And, and so I said to him, I said, I don't know. I, said, I think it would have to be 14 pounds, Tim. I said, now a 13 pounder, if I saw that in the net, 13 and a half pounds, that, then I might change my tune. But I think it would have to be 14, and I never expected to get a 14, 14 wow. a walleye that size. So, yeah, that, that was is... something, man. That's awesome. Now, you were using planer boards? Uh, no. No? Nope. Caught it mano on mano, just but, with, uh, just in the hand, you know, just troll it. I like to keep the touch, got the rod right in my hand. And, oh, really? Uh, and, and, Not and even rod that. holders, huh? Nope. That, my rod holder is my right hand. I steer with the left hand and fish with the right. And uh, wow. I got some, some pretty nice setups. I got the line counter reels and so forth. And... Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, it, I don't know whether putting my crankbait in the smelt or not was the difference, <laughs> but as my brother said later that night, he said, well, looks like I'll be soaking all my baits in smelt the rest of my life, because <laughs> <So, laughs> it, sure, it sure, didn't, sure didn't hurt, I'll tell you that much. But, so, uh, so the two of you only had one rod apiece out? Correct. Wow. That's all, and that's all I'm saying about that. Steve Milliot, I got to thank Steve Milliot was the one who really 
I owe that walleye to because I caught that. Uh, it's classified in semi-classified information exactly where I caught it. I'll say the Bay of Green Bay. But I got it basically right where big old Fred Storm got his big one years ago and where Glenn O'Malley got his 14.78 pound in 1998 that won the In Fisherman Awards big uh, big walleye. Uh, those three fish all came from the same spot. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it's re- and now I was thinking about it this time. You know, I shot that 10-point buck this year. And, you know, you show people the, the picture of the deer, and it, it, here's what kills me. No matter what you show somebody, they're going to whip out their phone and go, you say, oh, here's a 10-point buck I shot. Oh, here, here's a 12-pointer in my grandma's backyard eating apples. Oh, here's one my guy at work got. Here's this. There's always a one-upper wherever you go. Nobody can ever say, oh, that's a nice deer or that's a nice fish. No, they always got to show you one that's bigger. Well, guess what? I got one that's the anti-one-upper. I don't think somebody's going to be whipping out their phone and saying, oh, here's a 15-and-a-half-pounder my cousin got on the Mississippi. No, nope. <laughs> I think at 14-and-a-half pounds, most people are probably just going to say nice fish and walk away because oh, not yeah. many people are going to get one bigger. There, there are, of course. Right. There's bigger ones out there, and guys have got them. But I'll tell you, that's a pretty rare creature. Well, you know how I generally, somebody tells me they caught this, caught that, and they always want to show me pictures. And, you know, I know what fish look like. So, But, you know, there are some pictures I definitely want to see. And that's one of the pictures that I want to see. Well, I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big, big walleye. Wow. Well, it's, fun, it's funny, Tom. I think I'm all prepared. I'm out there in the dark. I told you I was, you know, mind farting and couldn't find my scale. Uh, then I try and take a picture, or I give my brother my cell phone to take a picture well, I got this new phone, right? It takes pictures, but I've never figured out how to turn the flash on. So oh, there we no. are out in the dark. He, he taking pic, dark pictures with no flash. That didn't work. So <laughs> then I grabbed my digital camera, which I was smart enough to grab just in case. Grab the digital camera, <laughs> hit the button. <laughs> zoo, 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 battery's dead. You know? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So now I'm like, crap. So then he says, okay, I got this spotlight. I'll try and take a picture. So I give my brother credit. Bouncing around in the waves, he's holding my phone. And anybody, you know these smartphones, you got the little button at the bottom of the phone. Well, trying to hold that with one hand. I guess people do it for selfies. But he's trying to hold that with one hand. And he's trying to hold, he's holding the spotlight up uh, on me with the other hand, bouncing in the boat. And he managed to take a perfect picture. Uh, So it it did come out. But I, I sent it to a friend. And I, I immediately sent back to him, do not post this on Facebook. And here's the reason why. You post something on Facebook, and you kind of alluded to it. Somebody's, nobody ever is going to say anything good. They're going to say something like, oh, why didn't you let it go? Oh, it doesn't look like it's 14 and a half pounds to me. Uh, you know, you're always going to get, you know, and, and who cares? I don't live for Facebook likes. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I check it every six months, so I know people send me messages. If I don't get back to you right away, it's because I don't check my Facebook. But uh, I didn't want it posted there. And it's really difficult, Tom, to tell the size of a fish because we've talked about this. Most yeah. everybody holds them out at arm's length and dislocates their shoulders, you know, trying to show you the fish. So if you see what looks like the guy says is a 10-pound bass, it could be a 5-pound at arm's length extended. So it's really hard to tell from a picture. Yeah, unless you see their big chubby fingers in the way, you know. Well, yeah, right. 
So here's <laughs> big chubby fingers. Yeah, I, who's got you saying I got chubby fingers? So no, anyway, I, uh, what I did do, I, I immediately put it in the live well and kept it for two days. I just covered it with ice and I didn't even see the fish for, you know, two days. And then I get home and I pull it out of the live well and put it in a Lake Michigan cooler. I filled the Lake Michigan cooler with ice and I pulled it out and laid it in that cooler. And that is where you could really see the size of the fish. I mean, when you see it laying there, and I took a picture in the cooler. Now, the one thing I should have done is put a yardstick there because that's a 36-inch cooler, and that fish is filling up the whole thing. So I should have put a yardstick there because some people might look and think it's a smaller cooler. But when you saw that, you had to see the fish in person like we did with Fred Storms years yeah. ago to see it laying in the cooler. So I had to show somebody because the only person in the world that knew that fish existed was me and my brother and a few friends I sent the picture to. So I found Tom Kep, our Pewaukee chapter walleyes for tomorrow. Uh, I called out to the sanitary district where he works, and I said, is Tom Kep there? I want to talk to him. They're, well, who is this? What's this all about? I said, I got a giant walleye I want to show him. Oh, okay, yeah, we'll get him. <laughs> so uh, I met Tom, Kep and, met Tom Kep and a few guys after work and uh, showed it to him in the cooler, and uh, it, was, it was pretty cool. I did put a picture of a $20. I, I, put a, I, put a 20, I had a $20 bill in my pocket, and I put that on the fish to try and get some reference as they took pictures. But in that cooler, it looked like a carp. It just looked enormous, and I, uh, I'll tell you what. I just uh, I, I said a prayer. I just thank the Lord for, for the blessing of that because uh, that was really something. I've had a fantastic year. My two biggest bucks, uh, crossbow, 8-point, 10-point rifle, and now this, I'll tell you what, though, I'm going broke, so I'd like to announce I'm, I'm starting a GoFundMe. It's the GoFundMe page for Danny Bush taxidermy fees. I need help, guys. I'm going broke on these taxidermists now. I'll tell you, the way your luck is going, Danny, this year, you'll probably catch a, a 50-plus-inch muskie. So. I'm thinking that, yeah. that 55-inch Green Bay muskie, yeah, you, I, I, that's my next next quest yeah you got you you got the mojo going this year that's for sure and uh, right now we got a little mojo going by by a couple of commercial breaks so folks stay tuned for more of the wacky walleyes cutting edge outdoors right here on am 1250 uh, the fan welcome back to the wacky walleyes cutting edge outdoors i think that was a kiss song about to start there uh detroit rock city i think but uh, yes it was that. <laughs> yes, it was. See, I know my rock and roll, man. And uh, speaking of rock and roll, uh, we got a uh, caller on the line, Sam. Yeah, we got Rich in Milwaukee. Morning, Rich. Hey, Rich. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, as this weather starts warming up, um, I don't know if either one of you ever took part in shooting carp with a bow and arrow. No, I never did. It's it's what 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 you want to do is you would like to target the big mouth buffalo carp in the Wisconsin River systems. Uh, typically, I'm going to say in about another two weeks, you're going to see all these, uh, if, 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 if not already, you're going to see all these guys that will have these big flat bottom boats with about 20 lights hooked up to them and they, and they go at night and, uh, and then when they cruise by them, they zap them. And these, some of these fish are, are over 70 pounds. Well, I, I give these guys a lot of credit for cleaning up the waterways of those carp. Well, and I will tell you this, the, the big mouth buffalo carp, when you smoke them, they're actually very delicious. Okay. So, really? The, you uh, know, I would say that the texture of the meat is, is it's very white, and it's, uh, um, it's, it's, uh, it's on the consistency of ham, believe it or not. Huh. 
what what describe what kind of setup would you have for your bow and all this stuff gear gear well, wise what kind of archery stuff would you use you to shoot a, carp a, a, most people use compounds like you know like 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 bow hunting for deer and yeah. uh, but you, you get one of these um it's called a bottle and i haven't looked at my equipment for quite a long time but it's basically a bottle it's got a lever on it and when you release your arrow the line comes out of the bottle and it's a matter of then grabbing your line hopefully you shot a fish and you can pull it and then you're you got a really i'll tell you what you're a tug of a lifetime when you got it when you got a fish that's over 25 pounds on it's it's really fun yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So you're you're grabbing the land the line by hand. In, you in... grab the line by hand. Uh, there are some out there that have reels on them, but you're not gonna you're not gonna reel a 25 pound fish in. <laughs> and, and certainly and certainly not a 70 pound fish. Now, uh, it's it's interesting. You mentioned it's the the buffalo buffalo carp, right? Yeah, there's a smallmouth and a bigmouth buffalo. Uh, most of these that, that the guys go after are bigmouth. Okay. So that's kind of different than your Joe average common carp that we got in, you know, ponds and lakes around here. The buffalo is a different different species. It is. And uh, my hotspot years ago, because I had a cousin that lived on Nagawicka, uh, typically around the southeast Wisconsin, your, your, your carp basically spawn always around Memorial Day. It's, it's almost right on the button as Memorial Day. Those fish are just, just spawn like crazy. Well, that's that's good that you can uh, can get out there, and I know I've, some guys do it out here on Pewaukee Lake, and uh, we appreciate them going out there and, and doing it. Uh, we only had one little bit of a problem last year, Tom, where somebody filled up Louie's dumpster here to the top with carp in the I middle of the night. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they had to clean that all out, so now she keeps her dumpster locked up. So it's good that they're getting them, but they got to make sure they know where they're going to dispose of them, whether it's a farm field somewhere or if they're going to take and smoke them. Uh, like you said, I guess smoke, they can be good. So uh, what the heck? Oh, did he, did he go? Nope. No, I don't no know. I'm still here. I, I oh. heard you guys like talking over each other. Oh, oh okay. So Tom, <laughs> you tried smoke carp, right? I, I've, I've had it before years ago on the Mississippi River, uh, and, and it was all right. Yeah, it was okay. When you when you smoke that? them, do you have when you smoke them? Do you have to just use a certain part? I've heard that for carp, you just want to get like the the top white meat along the back or something like that. Generally, generally that's good. Um, we smoke them. We pretty much smoke them. When I say for for several hours, and and what'll happen is that skin will actually fall right off it. Okay. And like I said, the white is like the the meat is like pure white. Wow. And uh, very good. In fact, I remember bringing bringing some to uh, people I worked with, and every person, every person I gave it to loved it. Hey, uh, let me ask you: Where would you pick buy like one of those bottles that you referred to for the for the bow fishing? Uh, well, thinking about it now, you might even you might even get them. It's very possible Dick Smith would carry it, believe it or not. But uh, uh, generally, you want to go to an archery shop. Westtown Archery is a local yeah. one in the uh, south of Milwaukee. Um, I don't know who else has these. Uh, I don't know if the, if, the, if, if um, Dick Sporting Good used to carry them, but they might be hard to find. So I, w- I would check with your local archery dealer. Gotcha, gotcha. 
And that, oh, arrow. They have special arrows for that too, right? They're basically a fiberglass arrow, um, and they they they're rigged. The way they're rigged is they have a like a like a, almost like a slip knot in them, and it's kind of hard to describe. But uh, they usually have some kind of a barb tip, so when you penetrate through the fish, that the arrow won't come back out. It has a, a barb kind of a barb type system on it. And then when you once you go through the fish, then you do unscrew that head and then pull the arrow out. So it's really it's really fun. Like I said, I I actually haven't been doing it for the last couple of years because I'm not hitting it just right. But generally, the Wisconsin River systems, like I said, can, are producing very big fish. And and for the line, do you use like a dacron line, like you'd use ice fishing or mono uh, or, or? Yeah, just like that. Um, I I think I use what I was about a hundred pound test. Okay. Wow. And it flies out of the bottle real well, and I mean, there's no there's no flaws with it, um, as long as you wow. don't get it hung up when you're shooting, releasing your arrow. <laughs> okay, well, it sounds like a great sport. Yeah, it sounds very interesting. Yes. So thanks for the call. Appreciate the info. That's a great idea. Okay, guys, you have a nice day. All right, you take care take now. Care. Yeah, you know, Tom, as a kid in Green Bay, I used to go stalking along the East River with my old recurve bow trying to shoot a doggone carp, and I never did get one. <laughs> you know, you'd see those things. They are they are wary. You'd see them rolling in the shallows, right? So I'd have my waders on, and I'd think, oh, I'm going to go get them. You know, as soon as you try stalking up on them, they take off. They, I, even if you're on the shore, it seemed like they sensed the vibration from your feet when you were trying to walk up and sneak up on them. Yep, yep, I can, I can see that, yep. And, you know, uh, when he was saying about how those big head buffaloes are uh, good smoked, uh, you know, that's what I've been hearing about those Asian carp, that that upper part of them, the loin part, I guess you might call it, the upper part by the back of the fish, is supposed to be actually very good. The only problem is is nobody wants to buy a, a fish, uh, you know, meat called Asian carp. they got to come up with a different name for it. <laughs> hey, uh, we got three minutes before break, but I think we got another caller, Tom. Can All we right. sneak him in? All right, let's go to Gary in River Hills on the Cutting Edge Outdoors. Hey, hey Gary. Gary. Good morning. Morning. I talked to you guys a couple weeks ago about bullheads. Smoking yeah. Bullheads. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was going to mention those black belly bullheads we were talking about came up from northwestern Wisconsin, up Sawyer County, Washburn County area. Okay. You were wondering about the the brown, the yellow bellies and the white bellies. Those white bellies were, were caught up there, and like I say, they don't taste very good, but the, the black yellow bellies taste wonderful. Yeah, the yellow belly ones, those are the ones that I always caught as a kid and yeah. that we ate a lot of, and those were always very good. I, and I was mentioning I caught the biggest yellow bellies of my life while pike fishing the Peshtigo Harbor when they would actually grab a live shiner that I'd have out under a bobber for pike. Uh, they'd grab a big shiner. These bullheads were big enough to wolf that down. I couldn't believe it. They were just—they were beautiful, man. Black no, as black you, can be, and brilliant right. yellow fat belly. It was really cool. I'll tell you what. Two of the most fun is a big long cane pole. My uncle and I would go out all right before dark when the mosquitoes start biting, biting the bullheads would start biting. And he Good would tip. shum the—he would shum the water. He'd take a little piece of wedding mesh. He put old chucking guts and stuff in there, tie it hanging in a tree for a week, and then he and I would take that. Of course, we wouldn't put it in the automobile with us. We'd sit it out in the boat in the trailer. But huh. we'd uh, chum the water before dark. We'd 
throw that chicken guts across the water, and they would come in two-pound yellow-belly black bullheads, and we'd catch wow. them on cane poles. Wow. And that it would just be, and I think I mentioned to you, we'd put them in olive oil, can them in olive oil. In the middle of winter, you have a craving for a smoked piece of fish, you know. And by the way, we tried the same recipe, brown sugar, uh, kosher salt, put them in a brine overnight, 24 hours, take them out, rinse them off, and then we'd smoke them. But we tried that. I shot a lot of carpet bow on, on Little mm-hmm. Cedar Lake back in the day in the 70s. And we tried that same recipe, and they taste these carp just did not taste good. They tasted strong. And I'd like to know the recipe that uh, said they taste so good. Yeah, uh, like I said, I you know the the ones that I the one the one time that I had it out on, we were fishing by the Mississippi River and there was a bar that we stopped in you know to get a, a lunch and uh, you know they had they just put them on the bar this smoked fish and and it was after we had it that the guy said they were smoked carp and I said oh they're not bad you know it's pretty good but yeah. I don't know what kind of carp they were you know yeah. I didn't know if they were the common carp big head small head buffalo or what I. I have no idea, you know. Yeah, I can remember these these carp had a smaller mouth, big, big, you know, 15, 20-pound carp out of little cedar. We'd shoot them in the shallows, you know. Maybe but, those um, were smallmouth buffalo. Who knows? Yeah, could be. Sure. Don't know. Well, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. Take Talk care. Right now. And with that, we're going to go to a break. So stay tuned, folks. It's 730 in the a.m. on this beautiful Saturday morning. So stay tuned for more of the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors. Welcome back to the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors. I'm Dan Bush along with Tom, the true Neubauer, bass expert and cook extraordinaire. And I guess we got another, what, half hour left of our show there, Tom? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And uh, let's see here. I got some more, let's see, outdoor report here. Uh, I guess we got to keep vigilant. It's the Wisconsin fire season, Tom. So if anybody's going out and about into the uh, woods, camping, whatever, make sure that you're... uh, Safe. We don't want to burn burn uh, burn northern Wisconsin down. Uh, youth turkey hunt begins April seventeenth, so the turkey hunt hunting's coming up. Tom, have you ever done the turkey hunting yourself? No, I haven't. No. How, how about your son? Does he do that? Uh, I, no, I don't think. Uh, well, yes, no. I take it back. He did. Yes, he did. Because he did get one last year. Yes, he did. Okay. Yes. So, how about as far as cooking wild turkey? What's your your experience with that? I've never cooked one. I've, I've never caught, I never shot one, so never. I never cooked one. I'm amazed. That's the one wild game that you've never, never had. Uh, you know, that my brother really enjoys the turkey hunting, and I've gone once or twice with him, and it was fun, fun but uh, he really loves it. He said, for him, it's almost as fun as deer hunting. And the great thing is it allows you to get out and have a gun in your hand in the spring, so you don't have to wait till fall. And, uh, you know, there sure are a lot of turkeys around the state, man. You see them everywhere. Pretty soon we're going to see them alongside the roads, those big old toms fanning. It's it's pretty cool. As a matter of fact, I, I do see them along the road every now and then, depending certain roads and whatever. But, yeah, I'll see a group of them every now and then. Uh, yeah, this state has got a lot of turkeys in it, lots. So. Yeah, they, and, you know, the thing is they, they regulate it by these zones, 
And, you know, I still don't know why they're, I don't know. I would think they could just have a basic turkey season and, and let you buy tags. And I, I, I don't know if, I've heard years ago that having different zones spread the pressure out where people aren't going to be, you know, I don't know, too many people out in the woods or whatever. But I don't know if that would really be a problem if they just eliminated those zones and just simplified the season. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I'm sure there's a method and a reason why they do what they do for the turkey hunting. Um I, I mean I feel the same way. It's like let a guy buy a tag and go out and shoot a turkey wherever you wanna shoot one, you know, but uh but like you said, there's probably rhyme and reason to why they do what they do. So And if they uh um you know, have zones for turkeys, I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, why not do the zone thing on the wolves? Work on, you know, give all the permits in those areas where the guys can't even see a deer anymore. Uh, if they're yeah. going to try and, you know, if they're going to hyper-regulate one thing by looking at numbers and zones, well, why not Why not the other? In fact, it, uh, interesting, Tom, I know the, the wolves, you get kind of wound up about them, and it's kind of a uh, topic that gets a lot of people's emotions going. But I was talking to a guy, and he told me that there's like four or five different committees now in Wisconsin, is studying the wolf thing, that there's a whole bunch of groups involved in this thing, and, you know, along with the DNR. And it's there's going to be, and a lot of the people that are on these committees aren't even hunters. You know what I mean? They, they get some of the anti-hunters and, and the tree huggers involved in it. And who knows what's going to happen with this season. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if some, some uh, liberal court or judge somewhere puts another injunction and, and, and we have to halt the wolf hunt again. And, you know, a lot of people think that uh, back in February when there was a wolf hunt that uh, 200 and some odd wolves were were killed. Well, actually, in actuality, it was only about, a, I, I don't know the exact number, so don't hold me to it, it was about a, actually about 114 because of the fact that I think 90-some permits were given to the American Indians in northern Wisconsin, and they believe that, like, wolves are their brothers or something, so they consider them sacred. So they never actually used those tags to kill the wolves. So there, was, there wasn't no 200-and-some wolves killed. There was only, like, 114. And that's just a drop in the bucket when you consider how many wolves are in this state. So, I think there were over 200 regardless of, of those I, guys. From what I hear is that they only gave away 200 and some tags and 96 or something like that went to the Native Americans. Well, they, they did get a number of tags that they didn't fill, but regardless of them not filling it, there were still over a couple hundred wolves shot. Was there? Okay. Yeah, well, there were. Yeah, I forget the specific numbers. Yeah. yeah, I think we got a caller, Tom. Okay. All right, let's go to Leo on the Cutting Edge Outdoors. Leo, my man, how you doing? Doing all right, guys. How's it going over there? Good. Going good. Say, I caught a 35-inch walleye on four-pound test. Yay, good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm joking. Say, uh, Dan, congrats on that walleye. Wow. Yeah. yeah. No, thanks, Leo. That, that's one true adrenaline high right there. Pre, pre, appreciate it. And, uh... If you want to see more walleyes, uh, they'll have the, the they're going to have the walleye wagon thing going out there uh, on Rocky Point today. So if you want to see some working to try and get some giant walleyes in Pewaukee, you can swing on by there. Uh, I might go out there later this afternoon. 
Okay. So. Yeah, talking sweet potatoes. <clears throat> what I do is uh, peel them, slice them, and then microwave them till they're good and hot, and then they don't take so long to fry. And then plug in the, the old uh, electric frying pan, some butter and onions, fry those sweet potatoes up, and lay in some of them walleye fillets right in that pan with that. Oh, Ooh, that sounds good. Oh, really good. Yeah, fried sweet potatoes, onions, butter, some walleye fillets. Oh, man. Great well, tip. That sounds good. You got me hungry already. Yeah, I'm getting hungry myself. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. easy to make, too. And like I said, microwave them first, and then they don't take so long to fry. Yeah, All that's right. true. That's true. Yeah, brown them good, and I the, the, love the old electric frying pan. Yeah. All right. Sounds thanks awesome. For the, thanks. Thanks for the call, Leo. All right. Thanks. Hey, Leo. Take care. Yep. Yeah, like I said, that there's a lot of ways to make sweet potatoes, you know. And I never thought of putting uh, fish fillets in with them. Never thought of that. Right, right. That sounds good. Put, put mm-hmm. the fish fillets. You know, now he's got me thinking. I took, I took my, uh, I took that walleye out to Dan Johnson, and I decided to get a skin mount. And if you get the skin mount, you can keep the meat. Yeah, you so, can keep the meat. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now here's the deal. Most of the fish that he's doing now are molded fish now i think i talked about this a couple weeks ago um it used to be that you could either get a skin mount or you could get a repo a replica now the replicas back in the day you wouldn't take your actual fish to the taxidermist you, if you could have just pictures of it and some accurate measurements and they would try and find a mold that was close to the size of your fish right. and they'd paint it up and that was your fish which i always thought well that's not my fish Nowadays, they actually mold your actual fish, which is the good news. The bad news is once they mold it in those chemicals, you can't get the meat. Oh. So, yeah, yeah. So, but once they mold it and it comes out, and of course, that molded fish is going to last forever. Now, I still was old school, Tom. When I took it to Dan, he, he, he kind of he kinda, he kinda was encouraging the molded one, but I said, you know what? I've got uh, a 50-plus inch muskie, a 22-pound pike, and a 11-and-a-half-pound walleye. He did skin mounts for me. Uh, last one he probably did for me was, I don't know, 15 years ago. I had a long time. Anyway, uh, they look beautiful. They look incredible. Uh, I mentioned the muskie is on the wall above the fishing uh, desk at the Midwestern Shooter Supply. It still looks great. So he does such a beautiful skin mount, and I like the fact that I got my the real head of my fish you know with the jaws open the teeth it's my it's it's not so i got the skin mount but then after uh and he was dan's a nice guy he said hey it's your fish you get it done how you want but then he said uh, i'll have it done skinned and you can come pick up the meat tomorrow and i totally forgot about the meat now i imagine you get a lot get a lot of meat oh, out of yeah. a walleye that size man but uh, being as dan's going to the trouble of the skin mount he said, well, if you don't take it, I will. I said, take it. You can keep all of it. So he's keeping all those fillets. But like Leo said, some, some walleye fillets with, you know, with those, with those sweet potato recipe, that sounds pretty darn good. You might have to try that, Tom. I think I will. I think I will. And I, I think it could be any fish recipe. I mean, any fish fillet. I don't think it has to be Crappies, bluegills, perch, whatever. Yeah, it could be, or northern pike or some bass or whatever. Yeah, 
It could be whatever, definitely. I mentioned that recipe last week, too, about uh, it, it was supposed to be the crappie recipe, but my uh, friend, you know, Arizona Joe used, uh, used, used the, the big perch we got in the Mississippi. Uh, come to think of it, I gave him all those, too. I, I sat and cleaned fish for three hours and let him take all those fillets. So, geez, why am I being such a nice guy? But he made that recipe uh, and uh, baked. It was a baked recipe, and, man, it, it's supposed to be fantastic. So I'm trying to get on the healthy side, Tom, with uh, with the eating. So I, I guess finding more and healthier ways to make that fish yet still be good is uh, something to kind of explore. Well, during this next commercial break, I got a few pieces of my orange left to eat. I think I'll have that while we uh, take these few commercials. Uh, uh, well, not take them, but, you know, we're going to listen to them. <laughs> hey, folks, it's early on a Saturday morning. What are you going to do? Smooth, anyway, Tom, <laughs> smooth. Uh, I know You're I'm smooth, half buddy. asleep sometimes, I'll tell you. Not, not really. I'm wide awake down here. Anyway, but we'll be right back, folks. Stay tuned for more of the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors. Wacky Walleyes, Cutting Edge Outdoors. We are uh, on our final segment, and once again, thanks to all of you who have been on board the crazy train this morning. You know, it's funny, Danny. Sometimes, you know, we get a whole bunch of uh, emails. Not, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, not emails. Uh, yeah, emails. Normally, we get a whole <laughs> bunch of them, and uh, look, today, I think we got one. You know, it's weird, you know, how we get a whole bunch one week and then the next week there won't be many. And then, you know, it just it just goes. I, I just hope people don't try to email while they're driving. That, that's not that's not smart. Right. Right. Um, and don't forget, uh, we've been talking a little bit of walleyes. Uh, don't forget, uh, Dale Strohshine has his uh, fishing schools. I believe he's got a, the walleye school going to be going on this month. And uh, then he's also going to have some smallmouth ones. So if you want to get up to the Bay of Green Bay and fish with the experts, I would contact Dale up there. The other thing, when Dale calls, you know, he's such a knowledgeable guy and, you know, he, he, he's a good talker. He t gives a lot of information and he's always talking fishing, but uh, he doesn't have any chance to talk up his resort up there. And he's got a real nice place up there to stay at as well. So even if you just want to get away with your wife or girlfriend or mistress or whoever and you want to sneak <laughs> on up there or whoever <laughs> whoever right uh matter of fact you know tom newbauer's free if you pay for the trip he'll you could probably take him up there but uh any, anything free he'll go for but yeah oh, you can goodness. go on up there and you got the door county area and you can relax and i'm gonna tell you what uh the weather was uh, was beautiful a couple of days this week during the day. It was up to 70 degrees, and uh, just looking at the water out there, it's a great thing to do. Yeah, uh, as a matter of fact, up there at, uh, at, at his resort, they've got a beautiful sand beach, you know, with those really nice lawn, lounge chairs on them, you know, that in the summertime, if, if that's what you want to do, or let's put it this way, maybe the missus doesn't want to care to go fishing. She can lounge on the beach, get a suntan while you're out catching the smallies, the walleyes, the muskies, whatever, you know. 
plenty yeah, for so, everything for the whole family to do there. And that's uh, that's uh, Sand Bay Beach Resort, I believe. Is, yep. Uh, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Sand Bay Beach Resort, beautiful Green Bay. Yep. Yep. And uh, how, what's your what's your river reports, Tom? Now, what have you you got any bridge bridge reports? You've been driving around the state lately. No, but uh, from from here. The, the walleyes on the rivers are doing really good. As a matter of fact, what was really interesting, I uh, was able to see John Gillespie's show last week, and they were fishing uh, on the Mississippi River for the perch. And he had a couple guys with him and his daughter and that. And funny thing was they were parked right by one of the barges. Their boat was in the background. I mean, the barge was in the background. You could see that. I mean, they were very close. I mean, not close enough where the people on the barge could, you know, cast another boat, but they were close to the barge. And the first fish that he catches is about a 10-pound walleye. Wow. Uh, that was awesome, yeah. And then after that, you know, he caught some other walleyes and that, but they were catching perch after perch after perch, just one after another. Um, and some of them were those big hogs like you were catching, most of them were maybe a little bit smaller, but still keepable, filletable. And, uh, but like, you know, once, once you caught some of those big hogs, you know, those uh, 12, 13, 14 inchers, and then you catch a 10 incher, you think, oh my goodness, it's a little one, <laughs> you know, but, but it's still a decent perch. But yeah, they, they did really well. But I was just surprised as how close they were anchored to that fishing barge. And I think well, they were out of Trempolo. Now, I've, I've been talking to a lot of people about this subject, Tom, in the last week or two. And that Mississippi River, I mean, that is one great unexplored country there. It's so big and so vast. And I mentioned when we went to launch to go to the barge, there were dozens of people lined along the bank catching fish right from the shore, right where the boat comes to pick you up and take us across to the other side of the river by the barge. There were guys catching fish. It was really cool. There were, I think I mentioned this last week, there were Amish guys, horses and buggies, parked alongside the road. <laughs> and these Amish guys were down there, real friendly guys too. It was funny. I talked to one guy when he's walking up, and I said, you catching anything? Oh, yeah. Uh, what are you getting? Big perch, he said. So <laughs> it, it, it's pretty cool. But I, I was talking with Joe when I went, and I said, you know, there's how many backwaters, how many little bays, how many miles of shoreline that nobody's fishing? You, there's got to be bays that you could get back in the middle of nowhere and just fish from shore and probably hammer giant perch that nobody's well, fishing for. Well, uh, I'll, tell and, you, I'll tell you, Danny, years ago, I, my, myself and a friend, we were fishing a, a bass tournament out there in the Mississippi River, and we actually got lost in the backwaters. We were so far in the middle of nowhere in these backwaters because my friend was telling us, so he was telling me, oh, make a left here, make a right there, blah, blah, blah. And then when we were done, you know, fishing, we were going to try to come out, and I would get up to a spot, and I said, oh, did we go left or right? And he'd say, geez, I don't know, I'm not sure. And we actually Jeez. got lost back there. Uh, yeah, we finally, finally made it our out. Way out, of course. But I'm telling you, there's so much water, like you were saying. These backwaters, there's so much water. And another time... I actually ran out of gas in the backwaters, and luckily another fella that I knew, it was a friend of mine, we happened to see him, and 
and let, he let me siphon some gas out of his gas tank so we could get to a, a place to get gas, you know. But, yeah, there's a lot of water there. And it, you know what? Places, it all looks good. It all looks fishy. In, in, in talking to a couple of guys, I talked to one of my friends, and he knows a guy who was fishing some little bay up by Stoddard and hammering big perch. I talked to another guy who's he's one of his friends was fishing and getting them uh, close to where the Black River goes into Onalaska, I believe, and he was slamming big perch. So there's lots of places, and the cool thing is you can try and find those shore places to go. And I talked to another friend who actually said that years ago he went to a place on the Mississippi under a bridge from shore where they used to catch giant bluegills. And really? he hasn't been there in many years. So there's lots of places to explore for that shore fishing and to really get some quality fish. And that's such a big system that, sure, they're pounding them on the barge, but there's fish that aren't even seeing a hook. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, I guarantee that's the, that's the fact, Danny. Fish out there aren't even seeing hooks, you know, and there's, there's so much room for them. My goodness. So. Yep. So, and actually, you know, Tom, I didn't get, my biggest perch was maybe 11 and a half inches. My buddy Joe was the one getting the, the 13 and a half inches, but uh, it, it still was a fun time. I plan on doing that and, and lots more. And, uh, you know, it's uh, like Larry Smith says, it's a good day to be alive. Well, I guess every day you can be out hunting and fishing. He's actually right about that. And that's about all I got. That's all I got, Danny, until next week. To all the listeners, thanks for listening. And God bless and stay free, everyone. You've been listening to Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors. Go whack some walleyes, my friends. We'll talk to you next week. Chasing.